Hello and welcome again to the Smart Post Sound Smartcast, direct from Burbank, California, Atlanta, Georgia, and Vancouver, Canada. My name is Joe Melody. I'm the president of Smart Post Sound. And uh, on the line with me, I've got uh, Greg Crawford from uh, uh, Smart Post Sound Atlanta, formerly Crawford Audio, and uh, Tony Gort from Smart Post Sound Canada, sitting up there in uh, Vancouver. And uh, I guess, uh, considering how things are going these days with uh, the lockdowns and uh, stay-at-home orders, uh, what could be more perfect than sitting in my bunker talking to people I can't see uh, about sound? I mean, let's face it, uh, what, what could be more interesting? So um, anyway, for people that do not know uh, uh, who we are, uh, we're Smart Post Sound. We're based in Los Angeles, but uh, we have a fairly wide net. We have a net. Uh, we have a uh, we have a facility out in Georgia, uh, Smart Post Sound Atlanta, and we have uh, uh, Smart Post Sound Canada, which is mostly an editorial facility. So, uh, Greg, yes, sir. Why don't you tell me a little bit and the audience a little bit about uh, uh, Smart Post Sound Atlanta? Uh, where it came from and uh, what you're all about and uh, really what your focus is, what you what you specialize in. Well, what we mostly specialize in is in APR. We, um, you know, with all the shooting in Atlanta, we have we have the only really large stage in Atlanta. And our even our smaller stage is larger than the other stages in town. So we have a, a two story 30 by 25 foot room that great for loop groups great for adr we get very good response and so really what happened was years ago about 10 12 years ago when the tax incentives hit in georgia um we just noticed that the uptick of it was the first time we you know in many years we had had multiple series shooting in town and we saw the demand for it so when we we were lucky enough to be able to build a brand new facility but when, with Crawford and um, and really tapped into the years and years of, of associations with the, the bigger studios on the West Coast uh, to the point where I would say without question, we probably do 95% of all the ADR done in Atlanta, mostly remote, of course, you know, to, to other studios around the country and around the world. But, um, and it, but at the same time, we, because we're, we're in a secondary market, We've always been sort of one-man band engineers. So uh, all of our rooms, our control rooms, are also surround mixed rooms, and they can all have access to the ADR stages. And so, you know, there, it's not unusual for us to do, I can do three or four ADR sessions in a day and still find time to do some editorial or mixing on a feature or an animated film. So that's basically what we do. So fairly, you know, it's a big footprint nice it's really nice purpose-built rooms um but uh but this you know relatively small staff we 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 have uh three control rooms two adr stages and then we do generally during the any any time during the tv season we have six on set um at uh, adr stages we set up for productions okay uh by the way uh i see that uh, mark Friedgen has now joined us are you there mark yes i'm here joe Okay. Uh, so, Tony, uh, so Greg just uh, described what really is an infrastructure-based business, even though 
there's a lot of talent down there, but uh, for people that haven't seen the facility, it's a beautiful facility, but you have something a bit different uh, in the offering up in Canada. Isn't that correct? We, we do, Joe. Um, one thing that I think we have is a large pool of uh, talented editors uh, that most of them work from home. And I think you probably have that in Atlanta as well. Uh, but we've been around, uh, Vancouver's been involved in film since the late 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. So that has a chance to build up, you know, crew that is experienced. Um, one thing I wanted to point out actually is that in Canada, a lot of the editors, a lot of times also do mixing or recording ADR. So you'll have actually a dialogue editor that understands editing dialogue because he also has probably mixed it, uh, which I think as a dialogue mixer to get an edit from a guy that understands how he wants it is important. Oh, um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So that's what we offer. We offer one important thing uh, is the time zone is a big one uh, with Los Angeles, where most of our clients are. Uh, yes. Also, yeah. Yes. So, I, I've, exp- I've experienced that. It's a very, very easy trip to uh to go up there now let me let me ask you the uh it's kind of it's a loaded question because obviously i love the answer that i think i'm going to hear but uh, there was a period of time and it wasn't that long ago two or three years ago where what we were hearing from our clients down here is that the editorial uh in uh, vancouver was not very good but we haven't experienced that the editorial that you've been providing is absolutely fantastic. It's beyond uh, really our wildest expectations. What do you think the difference is, or was that just was that just wrong thinking in the first place? Was it just not true? The only thing I could think of, Joe, is that budgets have shrunk um, quite a bit. So mm-hmm. for a lot of the movie of the weeks, so we'll see editors that are actually getting half the time that they used to get. So understandingly, uh, they're doing what they can do in the time given. Uh, I have, uh, and this was with all my projects, I'm very lucky to have access to the better editors uh, in town because I've worked with them for many, many years. So I just will not hire anybody that's not capable of, of doing the job. Um, and it makes my job a lot easier too, that I know I can hand something over, that I get it back uh, close to what I would do it or would expect it to be. Um, you know, if the town does get busy, it is definitely a challenge for me to, of course, uh, nail those guys down uh, schedule-wise. But mm-hmm. so far, I think we've been lucky. We've got a great crew available. Well, that's so. uh, that's what we've been experiencing. And uh, now, Greg, uh, you're you're finishing up a feature, "Charming in the Hearts of Men," uh, down there in Atlanta, correct? I am. Yes, I am. And, now, and, and, and much like in in Vancouver, you know, I. I've always been, I, I've certainly worked with crews, but I, I love being the one-man band. I don't know why. It's because when you get deep into a project, doing it all yourself, it's like, why did I do this to myself again? This is ridiculous. But, you know, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, with the clients and the folks in the room, um, you know, and this, uh, it just it seems to work out better. It's like, where's that dialogue? How, what, you know, why didn't that ADR work? I, I have all the answers because I put it all in there. Well, yeah. And, you know, uh, Mark, you kind of work the same way most of the time, don't you? Because uh, I've seen you going over cut reels as though they'd never been cut before. 
Yeah. And yeah, definitely. Joe, I, I definitely do that. And it's something that I kind of evolved over the years. I mean, way back in the old days of D88s and multi-track, you didn't know what you were going to get. Um, it, it, you know, it wasn't uh, readily being able to be checked quite like it is now, but like Greg says, nowadays, uh, there's a great comfort level to be on a dub stage. And, and no matter what the question is, um, you know the answer. And uh, the way I do it is I will watch every single uh, reel of dialogue and sound effects. Uh, Foley, I'm not as worried about because uh, I, I know that people have gone through that and they've cut it. And I, I know that we cover everything. I will check scenes if i need to but but as far as sound effects and dialogue and adr i've virtually gone over everything and uh you end up looking like a genius on the stage but all you are is a a good studier of tracks uh with an understanding of what they are and uh going into a mix like that it's it's a complete difference from the old days when you were constantly being uh surprised but uh so it's a great comfort to me when I, I i operate that way so so here we are i mean between all three companies i mean we're probably about six thousand miles separated if you added it all up so what are some of the technological advances that uh make this no problem it used to be a much bigger problem but for some reason today it's like no problem. What are some of the things that uh, make that possible for us? I think the what? internet speed is definitely what has changed in the last 10 years uh, that we don't have to have, per se, ISDN. Uh, I think, Craig, we might have even worked in the past doing Arby's commu uh, commercials. I don't know if it was you or not, but we did weekly commercials with, with uh, voiceover, Jane Burns, to Atlanta, and that was only with ISDN. Um, now we can practically use the internet for that, if I'm correct. Oh yeah, the, the, the source connected with has gotten way more reliable. We there's, I mean, well, there's two things happened. It was last July when AT and T just jacked the rates out of out of control that everybody, all at the same time, dropped ISDN. But uh, but yeah, it's you know, um, but for me, what what I've liked about having the combination of the com companies is that. On this film, it's a period piece, and, and my library of 1960s-era cars isn't as great as what you have at SmartPost. So I was able to have a bunch of really nice recordings sent to me so I could fill in the car tracks. And then the second thing was to have – it was a, just one of the biggest luxuries of, of all time is that the uh, dialogue and form was done for me at SmartPost and cleaned up and sent back. So it was like <laughs> – yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's nice having help. So yeah. when you when you say uh, uh, the dialogue, you're talking about the assembly that our assistant did for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I sent it out. And the assembly, all the assembly was done, and and it, it was just it was just a huge time saver to have to have somebody else do that. So, are you finding that? Uh, and maybe it's partially because of this coronavirus, but I think it was going on before this that uh, clients are just not as present. Uh, in your uh, in your workflow as they used to be. Oh yeah, in Atlanta in particular. Yeah, we well we uh, and we've spoken about this. We used to do a lot more advertising, and and it just it's the fact that we couldn't get people out of the rooms that we really started pushing back against the advertising community. And now apparently they're not 
I, I just mixed uh, a series of spots. Uh, I, actually, I've been, I haven't stopped working since it started, but uh, I've been doing spots and just people phoning it in. And then for us, it, we've never, since we've always been a remote facility for ADR, it's unusual for us to have like the director or the script supervisor or, or the producer in the room with talent. So um, we've always, I, I'd say it's been the last five years or more that, you know, the, the amount of people other than actors in the building has dropped significantly. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're finding that also. And so, uh, and I think we talked about it last week. Um, I actually think it's more creative because, uh, you know, you're above the line people, the directors, the producers, they're reacting to finished product. And so their notes uh, are smart. You know, uh, when, right. when they're reacting to, because I've had this before, uh, you know, you, you play the main title the first day of the mix and they say, oh, no, that's too loud. Well, <laughs> right. well of course it's too loud or it's too soft. But uh, when they can react to a finished product, uh, the notes are a lot uh, smarter. So, um, oh, so- absolutely. Whenever we do ADR, if we ever, if, if I'm told the director's there, I know it's going to be at least twice as much time. Absolutely. Now, here's what I will say. I mean, there is a thing called a profit center. So, yeah. you know, if they want to help, you ought to let them. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I'm just well, saying well, that as, it, a, as a business owner. But we call uh, it, we, we, we say, you know, hey, as long as the meter's running, I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's a better, you know, nobody wants to, uh, nobody wants to waste money if they don't have to. And it also, uh, given, uh, you know, the size of your staff down there, it, you know, it might cheat you out of being able to do another project. And at the end of the day, we want to do a lot of different projects. We're not that worried about the, you know, how much money we make on, on a single thing. So that's, uh, that's something to take into consideration also. Absolutely. Uh, So, one thing that I think is interesting because we've we've really brought this thing together, you know, kind of piecemeal. You know, I went to Canada. I met Tony through one of our mixers. Uh, you came out here to visit us, and then you approached us to see if we might be interested in acquiring uh, Crawford. And and Mark Friedgen, of course, uh, is kind of uh, you know the uh, poster child for how I met him. I mean. Uh, you know, we, we hired him. I think it, we did a favor for his dad. And uh, when uh, the owner of the business kept trying to fire him, we kept moving him up and, hey, wait. Uh, until, until, it, <laughs> until it became an owner. Uh, but you listen, know he's online, right, Joe? I do. I do. <laughs> I can hear I, he everything knows, you're saying. He knows that story. Yep. But hey, listen, what just why don't we just talk a little bit about how each of us got into the business? Uh, because I think the paths were very different. And I think a lot of uh, young people in particular would be interested to know, you know, where you started, what uh, piqued your interest and how you wound up with the uh, reputation that you uh, have today. Uh, you want to start, Mark? Yeah, sure. I'll start, Joe. Um, yeah, my story is uh, basically I have a, an entire family that was in the business on my father's side. It, it started with my great-grandfather, Raymond Friedgen. He was actually, a, if you could believe it, a silent film actor and producer. And then uh, my grandmother, Elva Fraser, was a negative cutter. And she had four kids, uh, two boys and two girls. And my father, Elliot, is a producer. My 
Uncle Bud Friedgen was a picture editor. My Aunt Chris Friedgen was uh, post-production supervisor. And my Aunt Mary was uh, took over my um, grandmother's negative cutting. So I was uh, Mark, bound. Mark, this sounds like a chapter from the Bible. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. I feel old as I tell the story. But uh, my... Uh, so I was bound to be in the business. And, uh, you know, I, I started working for my father. I went up to Salt Lake City and worked for a company called Sun Classic Pictures for a couple of years. But I always knew I'd move back to Los Angeles and I eventually came back. And my original goal was to be a picture editor. But I, I found out quickly that uh, it doesn't happen that easily. There's a, there's a, at that time, there was a waiting list to get into the union that was pretty long. And then um, I was also told that, that you could get right, right into the sound editing almost right away. So I had always been interested in sound, so I thought I'd, you know, switch gears and do that. And it turns out it was a great move for me because I, I really loved the industry. Uh, I started working for a couple of um, smaller sound houses in town. And then I, I got that job uh, 1982 with, uh, you mentioned uh, the first company, which was called Echo Sound Services. And uh, Russ Tinsley and yourself hired me and... I started as a driver and then started working my way up. And back then we were on film and everything was very physical. And I moved up to an editor and then a couple of years later started supervising and uh, been with you ever since. And aren't we lucky for that? <laughs> well, thank so, you. So, hey, t how about you, Tony? Uh, I think you had an interesting path. Yeah, well, I was actually born in Africa, but that has nothing to do about me doing sound, but... Uh, I come from a cheese, uh, my father had a cheese factory, but that was not for me. So I, I, uh, I was a disc jockey while I was going to college. And that's sort of where I really enjoyed doing sound, actually. And uh, then I moved to Vancouver and I went to Columbia Academy to sound engineering. But halfway through the course, I signed up for two years. It was halfway through the first year that I started actually assisting for a company. Uh, Vancouver was sort of then in the early stages of getting into film. And this was a composer that did a lot of uh, writing for commercials. And he was getting into post uh, together with Paul Sharp. And that's how I started out. And I felt very quickly that I was learning more volunteering actually than I was, than, than I actually was learning in school. And I actually dropped out. Uh, and I ended up tutoring the second year class, which I was supposed to take before I even took it. Uh, yeah. It was, it was interesting. So that was my career. I started, um, my plan was to go into music and end up going into f to sound for, for picture. And, and that's been a great trip, I have to say. Absolutely. And, yeah. So, Greg, uh, why don't you uh, walk us through uh, the way you got into this business? Yeah, very similar to Tony, almost exactly the same story. I, I uh, grew up right by the University of Cincinnati. And when we were all young, the drinking age was 18. So I played bass in bands from the time I was 14 years old start playing in the clubs when I was 16 and 17 but <laughs> I thought I was going to go to music school did not get into music school didn't know where I was going to go wind up going to Xavier University which was way more expensive than I could afford and literally day one I go to I, I take the tour of the radio station and there's a girl editing tape with a razor blade and I say you got to show me what you're doing there and she showed me how to edit and after band gigs, every night, two, three o'clock in the morning, I'd bang on the window. They let me into the production room, and I did for the morning show. 
And I, that's what I did. I spent all this time not knowing that there were even recording studios in Cincinnati. And anyway, so I, I read out of money. I go to a professor and say, I need a job. I got I, I can't afford to go to school here anymore playing bass. And he said, yeah, good audio craft recording. They're, 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 so-and-so just left. They're looking for somebody to dub tapes. Uh, that's basically how I, I, I paid my way through college. I'd, I'd, I'd work, and then they'd let me go. Ultimately, what happened was I started to build up a clientele where I could part of my marketing plan, which I didn't know it at the time, was to send out my school schedule. So they knew Monday, Wednesday, and Friday I'd be in the studio from 2 to 6 or 2 to whenever. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, I'd be in in the morning. And it really worked out and started in Cincinnati, went to Orlando, was at full sale, taught at full sale for a minute, and then was going to move to Los Angeles. And friends were saying, you've got to see this place in Atlanta. This, this Crawford place is pretty interesting. And I worked for Jess Crawford for 33 t- years until he sold to SmartPost. And here we are. And uh, how lucky are we? Because we'd worked together for many, many years uh, remotely. Yeah. I mean, you were part of the family. You know, when I look at your credits, you probably did every show that we uh, that, that, that we worked on that passed through Atlanta. So, uh, and uh, then, of course, a lot of your credits, you, you touch all of the big shows, all of the features that we don't touch because they, uh, they're down in Atlanta, a lot of them, and they... Uh, they loop with you. So that, that's yeah. good. That yeah, beefs that, up our that, resume too. That's well, that's exactly what we felt too, is we were, when, when all this really started building in Atlanta, we were, it was mostly universal Sony, Technicolor, Warner brothers and Disney were the, the big ones. And then over the last few years, that's why I went out to, to I wanted to meet Mary in the worst way. This you know, Mary McEwen, um, because all of a sudden, you know, one out of three sessions is smart post. And it got more. And it, it got to the point where you guys became one of our bigger clients. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll show shooting in town. Yeah. We've had a, uh, the last uh, probably five years, uh, we've uh, more than doubled in size. And of course, bringing you on and uh, opening smart post sound uh, Canada has uh, just accelerated that uh, uh, to a great degree. So, uh, just addressing uh, you and uh, Tony, uh, if you had to tell a client why they uh, should work in Atlanta or why they should work in Canada, what would you say is the biggest factor that they should consider uh, in, in making that choice? Greg, you want to go first? Yeah, uh, well, um, I mean, certainly shooting, in, you know, as far as, as post, I, I for you know, hate to be that guy, but, but, um, I've been doing this since 1978, you know, and, and not only have I like, you know, I was, I was working on Synclaviers before in digital before people on the West coast even knew what they were. So we, we have a, we, we have a unique set of experience and, uh, you know, because we have been one man banding, I've, I've done years and years of just music and score recording. I've done like, well, as you can tell from my MDB, a significant amount of ADR, but I'm also a sound designer and a mixer. That's what I've always been. So, so you know, the the the, the transition from film into um, digital post production and and analog and, and synchronizers and stuff. We have, I think, we have a unique um, perspective on and a different way of working. We've always been a little smaller. So, like, if if something is budget conscious, you know, you can come to me and and between myself and maybe one or two other people, we can pull a film together for you very quickly. 
Okay. And plus you have your, your tax credits, uh, as do you, Tony, what do you, what do you think about Vancouver? What's, what's the biggest strength up there? The biggest strength, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think definitely is the time zone. We have, they call the Dave credit, which is at 16%, a very attractive dollar, uh, which is at the moment even lower. And as I mentioned earlier, I can't beat Greg though in the years of experience. So you got me on that one, Greg, but uh, <laughs> uh, we, I, I feel really comfortable with the crew that I do have. Um, and myself, of course, have mixed, have done sound design, have done dialogue editing, done even Foley recording, which I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, so, and like most of the colleagues I work with are in the same boat. So uh, as Greg mentioned, if we have to do something or turn around something fast, we can all hop on board and just cut effects or sound design. Um, yes, so, so that we have. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that, Greg. I actually also learned to cut on Synclavier. We had at one point five or six Synclaviers, and we had six New England Digital Post Pros. So, uh, yeah, we go back, don't we? Yeah, oh, I, 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 I miss yeah. mine every day. Yeah, a lot of my work I still do on a sampler for that reason because I worked. Uh, it was a great way of doing, uh, for instance, gunshots in Rico. So you would oh. lay out all your gunshots, change your patch to Rico's, and all your timing is done, right? Oh, it was so, it was it was so much yeah. fun. I had uh, yeah. yeah. Oh well, <laughs> yeah. but that's tech talk. But uh, yeah, I think our you know Canada does offer and and people have worked here for a long time. People do know Vancouver. Uh, some high end shows have come through, so I don't think we are. Uh, uh, how would I say it? A hidden what well, we a hidden gem, I guess. But yeah. Well, I'll, I will say this because uh, I've worked in Toronto now as well as Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver is a lot easier, uh, a lot easier place to work. Um, it's, um, I mean, really, the um, the tone of uh, the the labor market up in uh, Toronto is just a little bit more buttoned down. Which is not to say that you know unions are bad and or anything else. I'm a member of a union. It's just you know there seems to be a little bit more uh, suspicion, if I could put it that way, between labor and uh, and uh, management. So uh, I don't feel that in uh, Vancouver quite so much. Mm. So, um, so for what it's worth. So I, I did want to get to this uh, funny stories about big stars that won't get us sued, but uh, uh, we are running to the end of our, of our time. If you have a couple of quick ones, we'll toss them in, but if not, we'll save them for next time. I have a one with X-Files actually. I used to do four years of ADR with David Duchovny and, uh, he was not the easiest gentleman to get him to do added lines. He would always disagree with them or why am I doing this? And we would always sit down and discuss it or phone up the producer in Los Angeles. And this was, of course, before they would actually dial in and, and sit in the session. And uh, one time we were looking down, going over the lines, and all I hear is a door close. We hadn't even started the session yet, and David had left. He just didn't want to do the session. <laughs> so, you know, us getting the well, as raft from Los Angeles, why would these lines not being done? I'm trying to explain to him why, you know. So the next session, David would go on a rant about everything. So I told my assistant, leave the tape rolling. So I put a note on the ADR sheet, said, please listen at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's my story. But David was otherwise a great guy to work with, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so always the ads isn't it yeah oh the added lines absolutely yeah. because the writers yeah. the writers are trying to make the show they envisioned and the actor says hey i already did that scene yeah so yeah. 
Uh, how about you, Greg? Any anything pop into your mind? Well, I've told you this story, but I but years ago I was uh, I was working on a film. Robert Redford was in San Francisco directing um, an actor in Atlanta. It was a fairly long session, so you know, two hours of ADR with Bob, as they call him. And um, turns out a year later he's in town and I have to go record him. So I walk in and say, Hey, Mr. Redford, I'm, I'm Greg Crawford. You know, I worked on uh, the company you keep. I, I was the ADR mixer in Atlanta. He goes, Oh yeah. I said, so for me with all these remote sessions I do, it's great to finally put a face with that voice. And he looks, <laughs> he looks at his assistant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. it. And, and the other and the other thing I, I do know is that it, I, I had to go to Jennifer Lawrence's uh, rented house here one time for, for ADR. And there was a, a place where she had to do a, a significant effort. She grabs this Afghan off this couch and throws it to me. She goes, here, play tug of war. And I thought that child was going to pull my arm off. <laughs> let, let me tell you, she's very strong. That's funny. That's funny. I have uh, I have one, not an ADR story, but a, a dubbing story uh, with uh, Albert Brooks on uh, Lost in America. Uh, while we were dubbing, every single morning, he would walk into the dub stage and he would say, I think that the crickets in the first scene, which was a very long scene, it was almost the whole first reel. I think the crickets in the in the opening scene are not the right level. Can we please uh, remix that? And the effects mixer would pull out all of his pre-dub books <laughs> and he'd start yelling to the back. Put up pre-dub one, pre-dub two, pre-dub four, pre-dub seven. And uh, this was back in the days of film when he had to update everything. And so he, uh, th- we mixed that movie for a month. And every single day, that was how the day started. And so <clears throat> when uh, it went out for a preview, it came back for post-preview changes. The effects mixer was not available that, he, that we had had, so we had a new guy. Albert Brooks walks on the stage the first day. He looks around. He walks down. He looks at the effects mixer. He looks at me. He says, I got my wish. <laughs> Different guy. <laughs> because you know what Albert said? And, uh, and maybe this is a good way to, to end this, uh, this uh, session that we're doing here. He said, if the level of the crickets doesn't matter, then why are we here doing any of this? Pretty oh, good point. Well said. Well said. So anyway, guys, uh, thank you uh, so much for uh, taking the time to uh, share with us today. And um, we'll catch up with you in the future. Okay. Hope to see everybody in person. Job. Okay. And, thank uh, you. Thanks. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again next week on the Smart Post Sound Smartcast. Bye-bye for now.